0: This episode of Cheat Codes, a sickle cell podcast, is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. This episode of Cheat Codes was supported by Agios.
1: Hi, Cheat Codes listeners. I'm Keith, one of the producers of Cheat Codes, and we've got a special episode of the show for you today. Doctors Mike and Amar will be back for the next one, but allow me to introduce your guest host for today's program, Blaze Eppinger. Blaze lives with sickle cell disease, is an active patient advocate for the community, And today, he's leading an important conversation with two leaders from Agios. So without further ado, here's Blaze.
2: Hello,
3: Warriors. This is Blaze Eppinger, your guest host for this episode of Cheat Codes. Today, I'll be leading a conversation with two members of the team over at Agios. Darren Miles, the Chief Commercial Officer, and Holly John, the Head of Patient Advocacy. My goal today is to get a better understanding of AGIOS and their vision for partnering with the sickle cell community. Let's jump in. Thank you both for joining me today on Cheat Codes. Uh, It's a pleasure. Thanks for having us.
0: Likewise, and I'm so happy to be here with you, (laughs) Blaze.
3: Always a pleasure, Holly. To get started, can you please share with listeners a bit about your background, your relationship to sickle cell disease, and what you do at AGIOS? And Darian, we're going to give it to you first.
2: All right, thanks, please. So, um, a little bit about me. I was uh, born in the Bronx to Jamaican parents, immigrants. So, shout out to Colin Powell. <laughs> Grew up between New York and, and Florida before I went to college in, uh, in upstate New York, um, majored in applied economics and biochemistry. And as you could probably tell by my majors, I always knew I wanted to do something professionally that was at the intersection of, of sort of healthcare and business, right? Um, so, then that's how I found the, the biofarm and biotech community. So I entered a program that allowed me to be able to be exposed to a whole host of different kinds of roles within a, a big pharmaceutical organization that gave me a good sense then of, of what, what the, the industry was about and how it can work um, to actually both serve the needs of patients, but also build a sustainable, a sustainable business. Much of my career has been spent in roles between sort of commercial roles, which are those roles that are dedicated to educating the community, patients, physicians about uh, new treatments, working with payers to make sure you can get access, uh, patients can get access to that treatment. And then other part of my career has been focused on drug development, where I would lead teams that would work sort of cross-functionally, meaning a whole bunch of different specialties that would come together to figure out how you wanted to develop a drug for what particular patient population, where do you want to study it, how do you then take it uh, to the various health authorities to get approved, and then ultimately be able to get it to patients, get it to market. At Agios, I lead the commercial team. Which does much of what I said initially, right? So focused on uh, working with the patient community, with physicians, with nurses, with payers, to uh, to figure out the best way to bring the new treatment to market, and then ultimately be able to uh, ensure that patients can get access to it. One of the things that uh, you know we're we're doing work on right now is thinking about. Our investigational treatment for sickle cell disease, which is, you know, a few years away from, um, from when we would expect it to reach the market. But this is the time when you want to really focus in on understanding the needs of the patient community, the physician community, so that you can still sort of tailor the program, tailor the way that you go to market, so that you're, you're immediately meeting the needs of the community. So you can both ensure that all the patients who should get it will get access, but that you also can build a sustainable a sustainable business, which then feeds the sort of engine of innovation that allows you to make the next best um, treatment for uh, a particular disease. And so that's much of that's a little bit about uh, about me and what I do.
3: It seems like you gather a lot of information about the needs so you can meet the needs, and I feel like that's important because how can you give the people what they want if you don't know what they want in the first place? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was great, Darren. What about you, H.J. Holly John?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was actually born in a dumpy little town in Arizona that had a stop sign. I was one of the first in my family to go to college, which was very exciting. I got my degree in journalism and actually worked as a journalist for a number of years. But I have found my way for the last 20 plus years into the pharmaceutical industry. And through that journey, I found my calling, and that is being in patient advocacy. It's something that I'm very passionate about and have a tremendous amount of love for. Specifically in sickle cell, I have felt very fortunate um, to be able to work with the Warriors and to learn about what it's like to have sickle cell and the challenges that they face um, daily. And when I look back at my journalism days and the skill set that I learned there, I think it really helps me be better at working with the community because one of the skills that I had to learn to be a good journalist was to listen and to ask good questions and to listen. And I, I try to use those same skills as I'm inter- engaging with the lawyers is to be thoughtful in the questions and then listen to the answers. And um, some of the projects that we've been working on that has been so rewarding and so much fun has been to work with the Warriors um, in designing our protocol. Again, it was asking good questions and listening. And then we've also worked with them to help develop our clinical trial um, campaign Oh, I can't wait for people to see. It's so amazing because you see that the Warriors really steered the ship on this. It speaks to the Warriors. And I'm so proud of what they've come up with. And then the other thing that we've done is work on mechanism of action slides that are easy to understand. And again, it was the lawyers who led us on this project, who guided us. And I think as a a team, we all walked away feeling like that's some of the best work we've ever done. But it really was the work of the lawyers. So happy to be here with you guys and to share this with you
3: hear that enthusiasm in her voice, how she excited she is? She's she's motivating. Right. Right. (laughs) Let's talk about passion and advocacy in sickle cell. Personally, as someone with sickle cell disease, I believe very strongly in the importance of being a passionate advocate for myself and other sickle cell warriors out there. And I want to hear from each of you what makes you passionate about working to make life better for people with sickle cell disease. You know, because I know why I do it. You know, I wake up, I live it every day. So, it's a part of me. I know what I go through and I know how under, you know, noticed sickle cell goes when it comes to other, you know, genetic blood disorders. So, I want to know what makes you guys as passionate about it so that we're even having this call.
2: Sure, sure. And and I agree. Passion is essential, right? It's a it's an essential requirement for anyone who who wants to be an effective advocate, right? the, you know, for me, you know, passion can be derived from a number of different things, right? But for me, I think the two big drivers are number one, a bit of shame, and two, like a years-long interest in addressing inequities in, in terms of healthcare access and treatment. And I'll tell you a little bit about that. You know, when it, when it comes to shame, I, I have to admit, I, until until a couple of years ago, I didn't know that much about sickle cell disease, nor the experience of the community. And that's a shame that I have to use to drive to drive me. Because once you know, right? Once you know, you got you to gotta do something about it, right? Most of my career has been on oncology, right? I had been focused on, on that patient community a good deal. And much of what I would do, I, whether I was working on drug development or uh, on, on the commercial side of things, is, is going to be the same. Whether it's oncology or sickle cell disease, a lot of it, to Holly's earlier point, is actually listening. Uh, a big part of of what drives agios is sort of appropriating the the experience of our of our patients to ensure that we've got a good understanding of who they are who we're serving and their needs and as I've heard um, repeatedly from the sickle cell, and I only hear this from the sickle cell community, is that you got to do it with us, not for us, right? And I take that I take that to heart because even though you can be extremely well intended when you when you're when you're trying to serve that that community, no one's going to be able. You're, you're going to miss the point unless you are in lockstep with that community, particularly one like this that's so well organized and so activated, which is which is quite different than many other therapeutic areas and. I think people like Holly, our clinical team, and my interactions now with the with the patients have really opened up opened up my eyes. You know, and I would say that that we're in this sort of renaissance period, right, with sickle cell disease. I'm I'm I'm, I'm seeing it more. It's being written about more. And more than just the disease or the new treatments, it's opening up the eyes of the general public, right, to the, to the lived experience of, of this patient population, right, the magnitude of neglect, right, the, the, the access barriers, the, 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 the experience of not being believed when I present in an, in an ER, right, something that I, I, I've never experienced, right, but I hear repeatedly, from um from the from the community. So it's been for me a, not knowing this has been a, a huge source of shame. And so part of what's driving me is making sure that I can to some extent sort of make up for 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 sort of operating in ignorance for years. now the the second driver for me is is one i've I've always had, right? so the the even from when I was an undergrad, i was I was working on trying to find new models to be able to improve community-based care, access to community based care. In lower socioeconomic communities, in particular minority communities, which can range in all sorts of, of of socioeconomic conditions, but no matter what, the lived experience for minorities in the healthcare system is markedly different, whatever your income, right? Than than the than the uh, the general population, and so and so I worked on a number of concepts and tested a few to figure out how you can at least improve access to preventative care, wellness care, which was just moderately successful, but it, there's so many factors that influence it that I had to figure out what was the best way for me to be able to sort of build on this. So I saw the opportunity when I, when I sort of entered into the, the biotech and, and pharmaceutical industry because one of the jobs that I had at a previous organization, and I have responsibility for actually as part of my scope at this organization, is um, running the reimbursement and patient support groups, Right. And there I had access to data, and this is across a number of different therapeutic areas, whether it's oncology or asthma, rheumatoid arthritis. I had data that gave me, gave me sort of longitudinal insights so I could see an individual patient's experience over time. And I know the demographics of those patients. So I could see what patients at a certain income level are experiencing in terms of access to treatments um, versus others and other demographic information like race and gender, educational level, things like that it stares you it, you're like right in your face, right? The differences, right? This, and this is, you imagine in oncology, for instance, right? Life and death, right? Like sickle cell. The, the number of, of patients who had to stop their treatment just because they couldn't afford, afford the therapy, or they were going to a physician in a community that just wasn't operating at, at even just minimal standards, right? To ensure that the patients in that community were, um, were getting um, at least level treatment with that of, of peers in other communities. It's, it's all very evident. And so to me, that was all dispositive, meaning, meaning there's no debate about whether there's an issue here. Now then the focus needs to be on, on equity, right? And ensuring appropriate, uh, appropriate outcomes. So that's, that's what drives me. And so now that I have the opportunity to be able to actually run that, right? To be able to make those changes without me having to go through committees and you know, go through others to be able to ask, I can just make those decisions. So one of the things I'll be able to do as we move forward with our with our treatments in this setting, is to be able to respond very quickly to ensure that where we see inequity, at least with what what's in our scope and ability to do, we can we can focus. we can we can make sure that equity is 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 achieved. The biggest thing though, if i can if I can leave your audience with just one thing, I do this constantly with my own family members who are on treatment, and then they tell me that they've stopped. I learned too much later that they stopped their treatment because they couldn't afford it. And I work in this industry, and yet they still they still do this. Um, is make sure that if you're on a treatment, know who makes your treatment, who supplies it, and then go to the company and avail yourself of their patient support programs. I could tell you that nine out of 10 times when I've heard a story of a patient who's like, I can't afford it or I can't do it because it's too expensive, nine out of 10 times, there was a, a solution for them to ensure that they had access. That's what we've been doing here um, at Agios in our on, on the oncology for our oncology treatments. And it's the same philosophy that we're going to apply uh, for our non-oncology treatments and eventually uh, with sickle cell as well.
3: So so that's my those are my passions. You said a lot of profound things just now, and I wish we just had a lot of time where I could just dive into a lot of points that you made that I think are just amazing. But one of the things that you said that really just stuck with me throughout of everything you just said was there's no denying that there is a problem. But it's about what are we going to do now, now that, you know, we're aware that there there is a problem? Because you were like, the numbers were staring at you. You could see it on paper, you know. Wow. And another thing you said that uh, really stuck with me was uh, the renaissance of sickle cell. And I like to just... Give a little pat on the back to all the advocates if you happen to listen to this, because I think we are a part of the group that is pushing that forward. Not really trying to include myself, even though I'm a part of it. I'm just giving the the bravos to everybody else. There are people who have sickle cell that, you know, are pushing this forward. And since I've been in contact with these people, I've been able to meet um, people like Holly, you, Darren. It's just amazing to see what, you know is coming out of the work that they're doing. So, yeah.
1: And now a word from our sponsor, Agios Pharmaceuticals. At Agios, we are passionately committed to transforming the lives of patients with genetically defined diseases, including sickle cell disease, We are proud of our innovative investigational therapies and are proud to announce that we will move forward with a singular focus on accelerating and expanding our genetically defined disease portfolio. This transformation provides Agios with the resources required to optimize the development of our promising investigational therapies and ultimately enables the greatest overall positive impact for people battling these conditions. The patients and families who are counting on us need extraordinary science, and they also need people with extraordinary hearts. At Agios, we have both. Our work to discover and deliver new medicines is personal. Thank you to our supporting partner, Agios, for bringing us this segment, Agios, where science meets heart.
3: You, Holly J.?
0: I so agree with you. It's so wonderful to watch the community and the progress that's being made. When I step back and look at it, I'm amazed and I'm inspired by the warriors and their strength and their resiliency and the fact that they don't give up. It enriches my life. Um, So my passion for advocacy comes in a couple of ways. One, very personal. I actually was born with a rare disease myself, so I've had to learn to advocate for myself. Another opportunity in my life was when I got to um, foster a, a young boy who was getting medical care, and I had to learn how to navigate the medical system and advocate for him. And then lo and behold, here I am in the pharma industry and I find my way into patient advocacy. It is truly a calling for me. And I've worked in other disease areas, but until I came into sickle cell, things changed for me. And it started by my very first meeting in the sickle cell community, which was a consortium meeting. I'd never been, um, I didn't know anybody. I showed up and was just so touched by the community. First of all, the meeting was started with prayer, which gave this different tone in the room. I watched warriors for several days sit in a conference room listening to session after session. It was long. It was tiring. Um, They were in pain. But I watched warriors serve each other. They were rubbing each other's backs. They were bringing each other lunch. They were making sure they had water. And I watched those warriors that were in pain who were not going to leave that room. They were there to fight and be empowered and to bring change. And I sat back going, wow, something special is happening in this space. And then I started to see the connections, the family um, type connections between the warriors. And I wanted to be part of it. Um, The very first person I met was Angel Henderson and then Dominique Friend and um, Lakia Bailey. And I mean, the list goes on and on. And my heartstrings were just immediately wrapped into this community. And it was something that I wanted to be a part of. And I'm so grateful to be here and to be helping in any way that I can to bring change to the community. It's it's time. We're, we live in the land of plenty. There is no reason why we can't solve this problem.
3: Amen. Wow. I met Holly at this men's event that she threw in Fort Lauderdale. Nope, nope, that's that's not, <laughs> not correct. I actually met you at the consortium.
0: Yep. <laughs> and
3: we actually locked in in Fort Lauderdale. And uh, our relationship has been blooming since then. Okay, so, man, it's just so much I just want to talk about. (laughs) I appreciate what you all are doing for the sickle cell community. And thank you for sharing a bit about yourselves and the approach at IGOs with the Cheat Code listeners and the greater sickle cell community. But I do want to bring up one last topic before we wrap up today. And it's a really important one. Access. It's exciting to hear about new medicines being investigated and worked on. It's even better when new medicines are actually available and accessible for patients and for all patients, no matter who they are or where they live or what they can afford. So people, we finish up with the Darren. What is Agios doing to ensure that all patients with sickle cell disease can benefit from Agios's work? I know you touched about it a little bit just before about what you're hoping to do with the new treatment.
2: All right. All right. Well, I mean, if you couldn't tell from my very long response to your second question, <laughs> I, this is this is an area that I get very passionate about, and and I, and I get passionate because because the access is oftentimes there, but but we lack the knowledge that we need to be able to to, to turn the key and 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 advocate for ourselves, in in large part because uh, the communication about these these sorts of of programs and support is just inadequate. Right. And and that's 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 why I have so much respect for this community, because it is so well organized. It makes noise. And yes, we're in a renaissance period and and the community should feel proud about it. It's great progress, but it's and it's essential. It's not sufficient. Right. So don't get satisfied. Don't get comfortable because you have to keep moving the needle and compelling people. Make good trouble. Right. Right you got to keep you keep doing that in order to be able to get continued progress you got to do it for yourself cuz no one else is going to do it for us right so anyway so you asked me about about access and so you know i think for for us as i mentioned before right the whole concept of 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 work with us, not for us, is 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 sort of at the center of 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 designing a, an access an access strategy um, that will meet the unique needs of this particular patient population. So you know you're working with the patient advocacy advocacy groups. You're doing a lot of research with individual patients to understand their unique circumstances um, that will inform the kinds of programs that you need to have in place. You're working with physicians. You're working with institutions, and you're working with payers. The folks who ultimately sort of control the key, the key hold the key to access, um, to make sure that you're gonna, when you get to market, that you're you're gonna provide them with the information that they need to be able to make those access decisions for individual patients. And for us in sickle cell, we're you know we're a few years away from a potential uh, approved treatment in this, uh, in this disease. So, so I don't have it all completely baked, but. But we're about to launch, uh, 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 or hopefully we're, we'll we'll soon have an approval for a product. It's baking. In a, yes, it's baking, right? For, for we'll have a we'll have another launch, and and we've had launches in um, in oncology, so for our cancer treatments previously, and that's that's the best indication of how we are likely to approach access for for sickle cell disease patients, and and that is you make sure that you have a very robust patient support program with people dedicated to the individual patients and their cases who will work with the with their physicians work with the payers to overcome any any access barriers Then once the patient has been granted access, but they see their cost share burden, right? What their out of pocket needs to be, right? Because it can be very significant and it can range, it'll differ person to person because each person has their own individual benefit design or different kind of insurance, right? You then figure out, okay, if the patient is paying above X, let's say it's $5, right? We want to make sure that we're going to provide the support to be able to pick up whatever the balance of that. Uh, of that out of pocket is going to be so that they never have to pay above x right for a certain kind of patient with a certain kind of insurance but for some people they're not going to the insurance isn't going to cover it right and so they're essentially rendered uninsured and then you have a group of people still in this country who don't have any insurance at all right whether it's through obamacare or united whatever the case may be they don't have any insurance and so for those patients you need to put a program in place that allows them to be able to get um, access to the drug for free right and so for particularly for higher cost treatments and specialty areas specialty settings like sickle cell disease it's essential to have programs uh, programs like that uh, in place, and it's just consistent with our our values and our culture at Agios, where we, you know, we, it's easy to say you put the patient at the center of everything that you do and patients first. You've got to make sure that the walk sort of matches the talk, right? Hey, that that what you just said. It sounds
3: like y'all definitely walking and doing the talking. It's all it's all making sense.
2: Doing the best we can. But anyway, so I I think that gives you some sense of of how we'll approach um we'll approach access. Uh, to sickle cell treatments uh, in the future. It seems like no person left behind. That's what it sounds like. That is, so literally the philosophy is no patient left behind. See, I like you, Darren. But let me but let me be realistic. Sometimes they're gonna there're gonna be some folks that you are not gonna be able to help. That's just the way the world works, right? There they're they're they're, con, they're conditions and restrictions for certain types of patients with certain coverage. Maybe they make too much money so they don't meet sort of the income criteria, right? They may gotcha. make over three hundred thousand dollars, whatever it is. So there's always gonna be a couple of limitations, but it is for a very tiny portion of the population. And usually you can find a way to be able to work around those things.
3: But I don't even want to put that on you guys because, you know, at the end of the day, it's not a problem that Darren is creating. You know what I'm saying? It's not a problem that I just, you're doing as much as you can, that it sounds like at Ajo's. I mean, like you said, there are going to be limitations that you guys just can't, you know, see through. But the fact that you're doing as much as you can, I think that's what will make the difference in the end, you know? Oh, yeah. I really like this uh, conversation. I learned a lot from you guys today. <laughs> I learned a lot from Darren. I learned a lot.
2: No problem, man. We've been learning from you. So
3: I want to thank Holly John, head of IGO's patient advocacy and Darren Miles, IGO's chief commercial officer for joining me today and answering some important questions about their roles and vision for connecting with and being fueled by connections with the sickle cell community. Before we wrap, are there any final words you guys want to put out there? You know, anything else we need to know?
0: Well, first place, I just want to say it's been so much fun hanging out with you. I always enjoy my time with you. <laughs> the other thing I want to say, um, to the community is please continue to teach us. It is so important um, for us to hear you and hear your voice, and we want to learn from you. We're not—we don't know everything. We just have barely even started to scratch the surface. So there's so much more that we need to learn from the community. So I invite you to to um, teach us. I also want to say we want to connect with you. We want to help build connections in the community and to work together and partner together to bring the change that is needed to a community that deserves it. It's time for that change to happen. And please, if you can reach out to me, I would love to hear from you and I certainly will um, look for opportunities to reach out to the community.
2: Picking up on Holly's point, the everything that we that we do has, has got to be at the direction of the patient of the patient community. Right. The patient advocacy groups do a great job at sort of pulling together sort of the disparate interests of all its various constituents to put together a good policy position that helps organizations like us to figure out then how do we how do we respond in order to meet those needs and going back to the to the question about access you know it's more than just for the adult population right so you also have to make sure for every program where it's appropriate that that you're compelling organizations companies right to also investigate pediatric programs like we're doing but also to think about access globally it's part of the social contract that we have with Society, right? That if we're going to work, if we if we're going to rely on them to help with developing the data that's required in order to be able to get a treatment approved, right? Then we also have to ensure that everybody in that society is able to get access to that treatment, and that extends beyond the the shores of the United States. Yeah, it's like, hey, we need you for this data, but no, you can't have what we're gonna make. You know?
3: Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That wouldn't yeah. make sense at all. Yeah. Not here. Not here. Well, I appreciate you both. And thank you to the AGOs for your commitment to the sickle cell community and for supporting this episode of Cheat Codes, a sickle cell podcast. To learn more about Agios and their work in sickle cell disease, visit agios.com or follow them on Twitter at Agios Pharma. Thanks for listening to Cheat Codes. Keep on living well with sickle cell. And don't forget to share this episode with members of the community. Dr. Zadie and Dr. Callahan will be back for the next episode. See you then.